I want to begin by saying hello to my Starnes Cove family. I know that we all expected to be together today for the worship service, but the events surrounding the coronavirus has made it impossible for us to be able to do that. Hopefully, we'll be able to be back together soon. But I'm thankful for technology that allows us to be able to get together and worship the Lord uh, via this recorded service today. You know, the President of the United States has asked that on this particular Sunday that believers would come together and pray and make this a national day of prayer regarding this coronavirus. I'm sure that you've been praying, but I want to lead us in a prayer now as we go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the midst of a lot of unknowns that we're facing in our lives. But you're the one who knows all. You're sovereign God upon the throne. We know that you are in charge, you are in control. And I pray that you would help us to be at peace with that. You've told us in your word that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, I pray that we will just rest and trust in you as your people in these days, weeks, perhaps even months that we have to deal uh, with this outbreak and pandemic of the coronavirus. Now, Father, we pray for people in our nation and in other nations around the world, and we ask you, Heavenly Father, to be with them and to protect them, and I pray that you'll just watch over all of us. I pray that you'd give wisdom to the medical specialists who are trying to find uh, some kind of vaccination that will prevent the virus and something that can uh, cure it in a quicker way. I just pray that you would be with all those uh, medical personnel who are on the front lines right now, uh, trying their best to help people to get well. But I pray as the great physician that you would be up on the scene, that you would oversee it all. And I pray, Lord, that you will protect the Starnes Cove family and all of our extended families. Lord, I pray that you would keep us safe. I pray that you would keep us healthy. And I pray, Father, that this virus would be brought to an end very, very soon and that it would not be something that we would continue to have to deal with. But yet, Lord, in the midst of this time that we face now, we trust you. Help us to learn from these experiences. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. And Father, just guide us in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue the series of messages on the seven sayings from the cross. Now, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he made seven statements before he died. The first statement was, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. The second statement was, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And the third statement that we looked at uh, a week ago was, behold your son and behold your mother. And now today we come to the fourth statement from the cross, and it's actually in the form of a question. And we see it in our text for today in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 49. 
And there the scripture says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Well, this fourth statement from the cross introduces a sense of mystery to the scene. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try my best to unravel some of the mystery of this passage, but I suspect that when this sermon is over, we may have even more mystery about this particular scene at the cross than we've ever had before. You know, Martin Luther, the German monk and leader of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, he wrestled with this text and its mystery. After reading the words of our text and meditating on them for many, many hours, many hours in which he did not move to eat or sleep or drink, he sat silent, still trying to grasp the meaning of those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And finally, after many hours, he stood up and he held up his hands and he said, God forsaken by God, who can ever understand that? So if you have difficulty understanding this saying from the cross, I guess we're in good company because Martin Luther had some difficulty with the mystery of it too. Well, there are actually three mysteries to me that are presented here in our text that I want us to look at for a few moments. First of all, the first mystery is the darkness around the cross. The darkness around the cross. We see that in verse 45, where it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. You can't help but be intrigued by the fact that darkness covered the land from noon to 3 p.m., the time of the day when the sun would normally be at its height and shining at its brightest. But now there's darkness. What caused this darkness? One explanation is that the darkness was nature's reaction to the sufferings of our Savior. In the Broadman Bible Commentary, the New Testament scholar Frank Stagg offers this insight about this passage of Scripture. He says, The sixth hour and the ninth represent Jewish time, counted from the rising of the sun until uh, 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 noon until 3 p.m. And then the land represents the country of Judah. The darkness was not due to an eclipse, for such was not possible during the full moon at the time of the Passover. Other natural phenomena may be implied as a storm or black Chiraco, but the synoptics seem to mean that even nature bore witness to the magnitude 
of the event at Golgotha. And that's the statement from Frank Stagg. Well, though his explanation has some legitimacy, I would like to propose a second possible explanation. And that is the darkness that covered the land for those three hours symbolized the fact that our Savior was suffering at the hands of the powers of darkness. You see, part of the spiritual suffering of the Savior involved enduring the wrath of Satan and experiencing punishment for our sins. The greatest agony Jesus experienced on the cross, I believe it was spiritual in nature. At high noon, when the sun was at its brightest, suddenly there was complete darkness. The Greek text actually says that darkness fell. One moment, the sun was shining, and in the next moment, it was dark. It was as if someone had turned out the light switch on the sun. This wasn't an eclipse, a cloudy day, or a dust storm. It was a thick inky blackness that you could almost touch like a thick blanket. It was the kind of unexpected darkness that chilled the skin and curdled the blood of the people who were there. The taunts and the catcalls from the observers came to a sudden stop. As those around the cross realized something eerie was happening, shivers of fear ran down their spines. This was a supernatural kind of darkness. I think when God closed his eyes to the cross, the lights went out. This is the same God who spoke into the darkness, let there be light, and there was light. He could have simply thought, let there be darkness, and there was darkness. When God turned his face from the cross, the world temporarily lost his light. The Bible says, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Well, the great hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote about this darkness in one of his hymns. The words of the hymn state, Well, might the sun in darkness hide, and shut his glories in, when Christ the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. Jesus died alone and in darkness so that we can walk in the light and have fellowship with God. That's the mystery of the darkness around the cross. But there's a second mystery that I want us to consider, and that is the loneliness upon the cross the loneliness upon the cross. In verse 46, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now the word forsaken literally means to be utterly abandoned. Jesus didn't just cry those words simply because he felt forsaken. He cried them because he was actually forsaken. In the moment in which Jesus became sin on the cross, God the Father turned his back on what was happening to his son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, 
that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never became a sinner, but instead he became sin for us. Ray Pritchard describes this spiritual transaction that was occurring on the cross when Jesus took our sins with these powerful words, and I quote him at this point. He says, Imagine that somewhere in the universe there is a cesspool containing all the sins that have ever been committed. The cesspool is deep, dark, and indescribably foul. All the evil deeds that men and women have ever done are floating there. A river of filth constantly flows into that cesspool, replenishing the vile mixture with all the evil done every day. Now imagine that while Jesus was on the cross, that cesspool is emptied onto him. See the flow of filth as it settles upon him. The flow never seems to stop. It is vile, toxic, deadly filled with disease, pain, and suffering. When God looked down at his son, he saw that cesspool of sin emptied on his head. No wonder he turned away from the sight. Who could bear to watch that? That's a great statement by Ray Pritchard. Indeed, God is so holy and so pure that he cannot look upon sin. For, so for that short time in which the transaction of our salvation was taking place, Jesus was abandoned by God. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 of God that your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. You see, this, I believe, is the saddest cry ever heard on earth. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? From the beginning of the beginning, God the Father and God the Son had been co-equal and co-existent. They communed together in a relationship which Jesus described as I and the Father are one. But for those few hours in which Jesus became sin for us, that bond was somehow broken. Did you notice Jesus addressed God with the title God? Every other time Jesus spoke to the cross, uh, spoke from the cross unto God, he called him Abba, which means father or daddy. The first word from the cross was father, forgive them. The last word from the cross was father into your hands. But at this central moment of suffering, Jesus called God Eli, or simply God. You know, my three children have always called me Dad. This would be the equivalent of uh, my children coming to me and calling me Mr. Horton or Dr. Horton. Uh, they just don't do that because we're in a relationship where they can freely call me Dad. Well, these words of anguish and abandonment are too deep for us to fully comprehend. All I know is this. In the Old Testament, when David came to the valley of the shadow of death, he could say, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
But when Jesus came to that valley of the shadow of death, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said those words so we would never have to say them. He was abandoned by the Father, so we would never have to know what that's like. Jesus was God-forsaken, so you and I could be accepted by God. You know, there are times when people may feel like they've been abandoned by God, but God has promised that he will never fail us or forsake us, that he will be with us always, even unto the end of the world. And I want to assure you today that even in the middle of this pandemic of the coronavirus, that God is very much with us. We have not been forsaken by him. Take cheer, take hope, take courage, because he is there. We will never be abandoned as Jesus was abandoned on that cross when he became sin for us. He was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken. He was condemned so that we could be accepted and forgiven by God. I love the words to a song that sometimes we sing called Amazing Love. And the lyrics of that song say, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. So that's the second mystery, the loneliness upon the cross. And now I want us to see the third mystery that took place at the cross that day, and that is the blindness before the cross, the blindness before the cross. From our text, it's obvious that the people who stood before the cross didn't understand what was going on. Look again at verses 47. Through 48. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. These people had no idea what was going on, did they? There was physical darkness at the cross, but there was also spiritual blindness there at the cross. Satan wants to keep people in the dark about the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In whose minds the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded those who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Jesus was on that cross for six hours. During the last three of those hours, there was darkness at high noon. During this time, the sins of the world were being poured out upon our Lord, and he cried out in anguish. And it was during those three hours that Jesus accomplished the mission for which he was born. He suffered for my sin and for your sin so that we would not have to suffer for our sins. Well, today, the good news is there's no more darkness at the cross. 
The brightness of the glory of God shines there. God wants you to see clearly what has happened there for you. I'll wrap it up with this story. In the days of the Great Depression in Missouri, there was a man who was a controller of a drawbridge. It was a drawbridge over which a railroad train ran, a drawbridge over the Mississippi River. And one day in the summer of 1937, John Griffith went to work and took his little eight-year-old son with him. John Griffith had the responsibility to watch what was happening around him and to pull a lever and that bridge would come up and let the ships pass under the bridge and then he would pull another lever and let the bridge down so the trains could go across the bridge. He had a very important job and if he didn't do his job, it meant tragedy for the ships or for the trains. And so he took his little son with him that day and about noon, they were eating lunch. Time sort of got away. And all of a sudden, John Griffith noticed that it was 107. And in the distance, he heard a train whistle blowing. He leaped from his observation deck. And he ran back to the control tower. And just before throwing the master lever, he glanced to see if there were any ships below. Then there was a sight that caught his eye, that put a lump in his throat. He saw that his son had slipped and fallen into the giant gears that controlled the drawbridge. He could not hear the train with four, he, he could hear the train with 400 passengers aboard as it made its way toward the bridge. If he did not let the bridge down, the train could not pass over and would plunge into the river taking many lives. But if he pulled the lever, and let the bridge down, the mechanism would crush the life out of his son. He was on the horns of a dilemma. What would he do? Would he let a bunch of strangers die so that he could rescue his son? Or would he let his son die so that those strangers on the train could be saved? Well, John Griffith knew what he must do. He pulled the lever, and the bridge went down, and as it went down, it crushed the life out of his son. But the train whistled as it went safely across the Mississippi River, and all 400 lives were saved. But his own son was crushed to death. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is just a little picture of God's dilemma. God saw that we were lost, that we were on our way to hell, that we had no chance for life or a relationship with him, that we had no chance to ever know him, and that the only way that we could ever be saved as we rushed toward an eternity without God, as we rushed down a track that led to an eternal hell, was for a bridge to be made so that we could go to heaven. And God's own son was sacrificed on that cross so a bridge could be made for you and me to go from earth to heaven so that you and I could have that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's why Jesus cried, why have you forsaken me? God said this is why. And he put your sin on Jesus and he pulled the lever and all of your sin and my sin fell on Jesus and it crushed the life out of him and it separated him from the Father. But without it, you and I could never be saved. Oh, how thankful I am today for the provision of the cross and what Jesus did there to make salvation a reality for every one of us. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you will do it now. Would you just bow your head and pray a simple prayer like this? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I've sinned. I'm worthy of death. I'm worthy of hell. But Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that you took my sin on the cross and you placed it upon your son Jesus and that he died for my sin so that I could be saved. And today, Lord, I place total trust in what Jesus did on the cross for me. I pray that you'll come into my life, that you will save me, help me to live for you from this moment on. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer. And if you did, let me be the first to congratulate you and to welcome you into the family of God. God bless you. And thank you for listening to this message. Please know you're in my prayers and in Lisa's prayers. And we miss you folks so very much. Keep us in your prayers too. God bless you, and we're looking forward to seeing you soon.